Let's hear some of that movie chat. Credits roll by and I tip my hat. Credits roll by, wanna know more right away. Let's have some of that movie chat. Credits roll by, tell me who did that. Life in the credits is where I wanna play. Welcome to Life in the Credits. This is the show where we learn about entertainment by chatting with people who work in the industry. I'm Susan. And I'm Ben. And today we're discussing the film Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And joining us today is our special guest, social strategy director, Amy Eicher. So welcome, Amy. Hey, Amy. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. We're very excited to chat today. Can you start us off, Amy? Tell us a little bit about your job in the entertainment world. Sure. So right now I am a social strategy director, which is part of social media marketing or television marketing. Uh, I've worked in television, specifically comedy television for roughly the past eight years. Um, And I got my start working in digital marketing for film. So essentially we are part of extending the digital life, the social life of a television show. It can vary from company to company, but for me, I come to it with a creative strategy approach, doing a lot of the organic, which is what we refer to as like stuff that's not paid. Um, So what does it mean to look like every day on a show's social media account? Um, We will also get into paid as well. Yeah, that's kind of the quick and dirty overview of social strategy. Cool. Does that mean you work across a lot of the different platforms? Yeah. So with social strategy, again, it varies from place to place, but what my job is establishing the approach. So looking, I might be given a show and think, does this show need a TikTok? Does this Mm. show need a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? Not every show is going to have every platform. And we also will, will work with teams who are helping create assets for those platforms. But I also am a very hands-on person. So I like to be a large part of that. Um, One of my favorite parts of the job is establishing the voice and tone. So you want to know like, who is the voice of this show? Mm -hmm. What is it trying to convey? And, And I think that's a big thing in social right now, because you see a lot of brands almost like trying too hard. Yeah, Finding that balance of, having an authentic voice, like what makes sense for the show, I find really interesting. That's one of my favorite parts of the job. And by establishing that, that's what's helping can help delegate. Like I don't need the, to be the person who writes every tweet, mm-hmm. but if I can say, well, this tweet should be a little snarky, but not too mean, or it should be smart, but not condescending. Those are some of the things that I think about when establishing a show's voice and tone. That's great. Do you watch a whole show to figure out what that voice would be? Yeah, I'll watch the show. I'll read the scripts. I just like to consume as much of it as I can. So I feel like even in the last eight years, social media's presence has gotten even bigger, permeates kind of every area of our lives now. What has that change, watching that change been like in terms of your career? Eight years has just been my focus on TV, but I really started like 13 or 14 years ago when I was, I started as an intern at Paramount Pictures. And the way that I got my internship was I had visited the Paramount lot on like a 
family trip. And this was right when brands first joined Facebook. So I liked their Facebook page and it was so, I don't even know how to describe the layout at the time. Mm -hmm. And they posted on their Facebook page that they were looking for an intern for the summer because at that time, college students had been the only people using Facebook for a long time. Like professionals didn't even have access to it. So their thought was someone who has been on it for longer would know more about it. Yeah. So I remember I was taking a class at the time where we were learning how to write cover letters and I became really obsessed that I didn't want to do to whom it may concern. So I somehow found out who was the admin on the page I don't even remember how, but the people at Paramount thought I was like a tech wizard (laughs) because I had tracked down um, the manager of the position. And I remember even in my interview, like the things that we talked about of my favorite features of Facebook were things that did not exist a year later. So it's been constant change. I go in and out of phases where I'm excited about new stuff and where I'm very resistant to it. TikTok was one that I think, I think everyone of like my generation, like people in their thirties were very resistant to. And then when the pandemic started, everyone downloaded it and was like, (laughs) oh, just kidding. This is my life now. Yeah, right. right. (laughs) It's really constant change, but also trying to figure out like what's right at the time. It's fun. At the end of the day, what I really like about it is connecting with people you're really developing communities that come back week after week to have discussions. Yeah. When I was in college, uh, the biggest show on TV was lost and my roommates every week would, we'd all have like a family dinner night where we'd make dinner and then watch lost together and then talk about it and like read articles on the internet. And of course this was back before social media was covering shows like, like what your job is, Amy. But you know, that was just a, a pop culture show at the time that everyone was obsessing over. And so I, I can totally see how shows like this today are trying to, you know, still gather that sense of community and, yeah. and find an audience that they just fall in love with a show and then obviously grow it. For sure. Well, Amy, why don't you tell us a little bit about your path for your, your career? I mean, I, we know you started as an intern. How did you fall in love with all the stuff you do? Well, I started at Paramount at a really exciting time. So um, I had a few bumps along the way, but a year, like a little over a year after I interned, I was hired back as a coordinator. And it was at the time that the first Paranormal Activity movie came out. Oh, wow. And my, yeah, my department was basically responsible for everything because that was a movie that did not have a traditional budget so there was a lot of um, exciting things happening at the time and then the first big projects I was working on were like the early Marvel movies um, like Iron Man and Captain America and it was really fun really exciting I remember I started Paramount's Instagram account and I had like such a terrible phone at the time I was taking like hipstamatic like blurry (laughs) photos of (laughs) things on the lot um I haven't I mean I've not scrolled back uh (laughs) 10 plus years to see if those are still up but um it was really fun, but it also with, as I said, movies have bigger budgets. Those also tend to come with a lot of bigger priorities, yeah. bigger egos, a lot of stuff that I got really burnt out on. Mm-hmm. But I loved my time there. Like the people that I worked with, there are still people I'm very close with. And it was an amazing first job getting to yeah. go to the Paramount lot. I moved from Boston to LA and then would drive 
every day to like where they filmed so many like iconic movies and TV shows. This is it. This is absolutely it. Yeah. I also was working there at the same time that Glee was filming. Whoa. And we had a very like young, cute, diverse staff on my team. And I just got a Facebook memory of this, that this was 12 years ago. The uh, guy that worked at our cafeteria confused my team for the cast of Glee once, and it really <laughs> made our day. <laughs> Did you get some good food out of it? I mean, I, no freebies. He oh, quickly yeah. realized his error, but Diana Agron did retweet me when I was oh, awesome. telling her about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. So from there, I had a bit of like an exploratory period where I was yeah. just trying to find my way. Shortly after I got married in 2012, I was in a job that I really didn't like. Um, This was not my paramount job. And I quit with no plans. And I spent the year just trying a bunch of different things. I worked at a coffee shop to pay the bills. I um, took an acting class. I was in a production of the Vagina Monologues at the Roller Derby. I was an extra in a movie with a predominantly deaf cast and crew. Wow. Interesting. Oh, and I interned at an environmental nonprofit oh, and, cool. and I was, I definitely like recognized I had a lot of privilege to do that because I was able to get on my husband's insurance because I was mm-hmm. newly married. Um, but the end of that time, I started taking improv classes at Upright Citizens Brigade. And that was when things kind of clicked for me that like, this was the direction I wanted to go. Um, and I had had enough like traditional professional experience at that time that I knew yeah. I didn't want to do improv as a job. Right. So I was trying to figure out like, what, what do I do with this? So I still didn't know, but I knew that the classes were expensive and my coffee shop job wasn't cutting it. Right. So I just started looking on LinkedIn and there was a job posted to be the web producer for Billy on the street oh, um, wow. at Funny or Die. I was like, I love that show. I this love, sounds yeah. like a perfect job for me. But I also definitely had imposter syndrome and I was very bogged into like, oh, I was a coordinator at my last job. A producer is two levels ahead. I can never do this, but I didn't have a lot going on. So I'm like, I'm just going to do a really great job on this application. Yeah. And I felt good about it. And I was like, great, this is, this will give me some direction. I had an interview and they told me afterward that they were going with someone who had more specific experience, but they would let me know if anything changed. And I still do not know what happened, but two months later, they were like, something changed. Can you come in for an in-person interview? Oh my God. So I ended up at Funny or Die working on Billy on the Street. And um, that kind of set my path to work in comedy television in motion. That's fantastic. I was mostly like making gifts for Billy to put on uh, his Twitter and helping out, like getting clips out and all that sort of thing. And then in between seasons, they didn't want to have to hire someone every season. So they would find random other Funny or Die TV projects to put me on. Um, And I worked on a few comedy specials. And I think my most, so my most notable achievement at Funny or Die probably was launching Tig Notaro's Twitter account. Oh, nice. Cool. Which is, it's still going. Um, She did not want to have Twitter. And I had previously worked with talent that was not very social. And it ended up with like, it was like pulling teeth for me and it was a difficult experience. So I thought, what can I do with someone who doesn't want to be on social? So we found 30 comedians um, for the 30 days leading up to her special to take over the account. 
And um, she ended up loving it so much that it's still going. Like she still doesn't tweet from it. There are different people that tweet from it every day. Oh, that's wow. That's a really good idea too. I mean, because it still gets her presence out there. And then also you get to promote all these other comedians who are going to share that content. That's smart. Well done. Plus then she can have fun with it rather than dreading having to do it. (laughs) Yeah, it was really fun. I got to like talk to and like meet a lot of cool comedians. I think one of the highlights of that was um, having a phone call with Gary Shandling to talk about like how Twitter was going to work for him. From Funny or Die, I went on to Comedy Central to work on At Midnight, which was produced okay. by Funny or Die. Yeah. I was there for four years, worked on a variety of shows. Drunk History was one of my favorite projects I worked on. Love that show. Really great, really collaborative team. Um, and then after about four years there, I moved over to CBS, um, and that is where I am now. And I um, work on all of our scripted comedies. Cool. Awesome. So what kind of shows are you working on right now? Well, our biggest new comedy is Ghosts. It's the number one new comedy this season, and it has been an absolute blast to work on. It's so much fun. The fans are amazing. The community that we've built is really enjoyable. I will like regularly be looking at mentions and comments and dms on my days off just because i enjoy it so much yeah and then we do a lot of uh chuck Lorre's comedies um so we have young sheldon united states of al bob hart's abishola and be positive um and then we also have the neighborhood and our newest comedy i'm not sure when this comes out, but premiering March 31st is okay. um, how, how We Roll, which is based on a true story about the bowler, Tom Smallwood, who was laid off from a auto factory and became a professional bowler. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Where do you fit in in the TV making process? Are you on set a lot? Are you? Is it kind of a back and forth? Or are you mostly off set, like researching the show, reading the scripts? What's that balance like? So it's been really interesting because when I worked at Comedy Central, I wouldn't usually get a show until it was completely finished. So I didn't really have opportunity to be on set because of the way that it worked. I just would be like, they give me the show and be like, okay, do what you want with it. With network television, because it's episodic, much more episodes and filming every week, theoretically I have more opportunity I started this job like just before COVID so I'm not I haven't been on set for most of my shows but in an ideal world that's someplace that we can be um maybe even probably once a month would be as much as we needed to go to just get content to get additional footage but most of what I'm working on is kind of it's after the pilot process so typically like we'll review the pilots start thinking about them, but not really start acting until we get series orders. Mm -hmm. Then we'll start building like our social strategy based on the pilot and any subsequent scripts that we receive. Um, And so our launch strategy is often different from like in-season cadence. So you'll see a lot more stuff happening like at the launch of the show that's based on sort of the minimal information that you have, which actually is a lot compared to what, what you could have. It's a little bit in tandem. I did get to go um, to Montreal to the set of Ghosts before the show premiered when they were, I think, filming their fourth episode. Um, And that was great to spend a little extended time because even just being there 
even if you're not getting something like specific, like you can get inspiration. Mm -hmm. Before we revealed our key art for this season, which had, it's based on like a wallpaper. I was on set and realized, oh, there's a different wallpaper in each room. So I just took pictures on my iPhone of every wallpaper. And we did that as like a tease before the key art came out. Like we just posted these little pictures of wallpapers. Very cool. Well, in addition to all the work you do, Amy, (laughs) uh, you're also very involved in activism. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, Yeah. So I work with this organization locally in LA, White People for Black Lives, whose mission is ending white support for state violence. Um, They're the Los Angeles affiliate of Surge, showing up for racial justice. So we work on social justice initiatives in LA and It doesn't always intersect with my work, but it's been really interesting to see the ways that it can. Um, So a few years ago, we had a campaign for jail reform in LA County. Mm -hmm. And one of my colleagues who had some good knowledge about um, how nonprofits work and all of the things that my company was looking for um, nominated me for what used to be called the VIA Community Award back when it was just Viacom. Through this VIA Community Award, they awarded a $10,000 grant for CURB, which stands for Californians United for a Responsible Budget, a very unsexy name for a group that's basically (laughs) an uh, abolitionist organization working to divert funds from prisons and jails into community services. That's great. Fantastic. Introduced me to a lot of great people. Um, There are a lot of people in the industry who are involved in this work, and it's really um, interesting to see all the ways that we bring those intersections. Yeah. Billy on the street was my first job after my big existential crisis. And I thought I was selling myself a lie that I was making the world better by helping people laugh. Um, And I was like, you know, this is just this thing I say, but I don't really believe it. And then we got a message from um, a woman who said, my dad, when he was going through chemo, this was the only thing that made him laugh. And now that he um, is no longer with us, my mom and I watch this every week in his memory. And I was like crying. I was like, oh, this BS I fed myself is actually true. And I don't give myself that level of importance that like, oh, I'm making this person's life better. But the fact that I could see that message, tell Billy about it, be that filter so that talent and creators can set their boundaries and then he could decide to send them swag which we did um and know that we just like got to be part of this family moment I think are the reasons that a lot of people do it it's it's we're all like looking for connection and I'm really honored to be able to be part of it yeah that's awesome very cool so are there any moments and you've said some that are already pretty unbelievable but any moments from your career that it just stands out as your favorite moment that you just couldn't believe was happening or a moment where you're like, I can't believe this is my job right now and what I do every day. (laughs) There have been a lot of those. Uh, One that's coming to mind right now is when I was at Comedy Central working on Drunk History, we would do panels at New York Comic Con and I would go to get social footage, which was like so non-essential. Like, um, but I just had... (laughs) The, their publicist um, is one of my best friends. And he was like, you got to be part of this. Like, this is the team. Everyone goes together. Yeah. So like we went, we did the panel, we did the footage. And then on the panel were Rich Fulcher, Taryn Killam and Amber Ruffin. And at a normal awesome. job, he'd be like, we do the panel, we go home. 
at this one, we did the panel. We um, got Rich's children in an Uber home. The Uber driver wouldn't cross the street. So I like took one of his kids under each of my arms and like ran them across the street. Again, not my job, but I'm yeah. just like, I'm here to help. I'm yeah, part of it. Get done. And then we went out to dinner and um, Taryn and Amber were singing and someone came up to them was like, you two have beautiful voices. Um, you should join my Christmas caroling um, group. <laughs> Like having no idea that they were like actors and performers, right. like one of which has been in Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we all went to karaoke and I, and I was like, I'm doing karaoke with someone who's been on Broadway. This is bananas. <laughs> um, but I think that really speaks to that show that um, Derek Waters, the creator, uh, yeah. one of the co-creators of Drunk History, just was such a labor of love for him. And it was him getting to do cool stuff with his friends and including us as being part of that cool stuff with, with your friends, I think really was fun and exciting. Very cool. Well, Amy, what advice do you have for people who are interested in getting into either social media or marketing for TV or film projects? Oh, this is a great question. I always come back to something one of my older brothers wrote in a graduation card. He said, always remember to be Amy and the rest will fall into place. That is the way I've chosen to live my life. I need to be able to be myself and be my full self in my work and have my work enjoyed by people or people enjoy me. Like that's not true of everyone. Like some people are better at compartmentalizing, but um, I think for me, like just being able to be accepted for being my true self. And I may allude to this when we talk about our movie in a moment, but um, I won't spoil that yet. (laughs) Um, And then the other advice I'll give, and this might seem counterintuitive to that advice (laughs) is like, understand that career does not have to mean purpose. That was a huge thing for me, even within the past like three, four years understanding that because especially in like the marketing world, in the corporate side of entertainment, there can be a lot of comparison, a lot of competition. People put out these horrible 30 under 30, 40 under 40 lists every year and like no shade to anyone who's been on them. Good for you. But at my earliest job, people were kind of obsessed with those and it was the the burden of like feeling like you needed to be success on the level of certain people was um, really hard. But yeah, I mean, actually, I guess this isn't totally counterintuitive because being myself doesn't always have to mean being someone who is all about their job all the time. And I think too, working in entertainment, you're a more valuable person if you have a life out of entertainment. Like what story are you telling if the only story that you know is work? Let's get to our featured film. Today we're discussing the 1985 comedy Pee-wee's Big Adventure. It was directed by Tim Burton and was written by Phil Hartman, Paul Rubens, and Michael Vorhall. It stars Paul Rubens, Elizabeth Daly, and Mark Holton. So... Susan, before we get into it, can you yeah. give us a quick breakdown of what's this movie about? Yeah, this movie is about, there's a lot of stuff going on in it. But um, it is, uh, stars Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens. And I found out when I was researching this movie, the TV show came after this movie. So this movie is actually based on a live show that Paul Rubens did as Pee Wee Herman um, that Phil Hartman was also in. It was a bunch of groundlings were in it. So we've opened on Pee Wee Herman in his 
in his awesome, insane house full of stuff. And we meet his dog, Speck, and he gets out his incredible bicycle. And as he's leaving, he runs into this other. So these are two adult men, but they act like children. <laughs> so we run into Francis Buxton, his neighbor, a neighborhood boy, I guess, um, whose birthday it is. And for his birthday, he wants Pee Wee Herman's bike because his bike is pretty incredible. Pee Wee obviously turns him down, rides his bike into town. As he's shopping, his bike gets stolen. Turns out Francis hired some guys to steal it. So he goes to confront Francis. Francis denies it. Uh, Francis's dad comes in and kind of squashes what's going on. Pee Wee Herman leaves And he goes on this adventure to find his bike. He visits a psychic and the psychic tells him the bike is in the basin of the Alamo. So now he's off on a road trip, hitchhiking to the Alamo and along the way there and along the way to Los Angeles and all over, he gets into one, like a million adventures. It's like the Odyssey kind of Um, not the same journey, but definitely he meets a lot of characters <laughs> that lead lead him all over the place. And I will get into specifics, but <laughs> a lot happens in this movie. Yeah, it really yeah. it's 90 minutes and it is jam packed yeah. full of stuff. Yeah. So, Amy, you chose PB's Big Adventure for us to watch. Why did you choose this film? Well, I thought this would be a really great movie, especially when talking about my career and yeah. like becoming myself, because When I was a kid, this was an important movie to my family. My younger brother and I were known for doing the tequila dance all the (laughs) time. I have a memory of one of my older brothers, like holding the tape hostage for years. Um, Like my mom was like, I really want you guys to watch this movie, but your older brother, um, my older brothers are much older. So they were out of the house. Like he had the tape somewhere. So (laughs) I can't remember when the first time I saw it, but it was just a movie that I had so many fun memories um, watching as a kid. And then when I was maybe middle school, early high school, we were having like a youth group sleepover at church and people could bring movies. And I decided to bring Pee Wee's Big Adventure and I put it in and no one was into it. Probably <laughs> 10, 10 minutes in, people were like, no, we're not watching this. Let's yeah. watch something else. You didn't even get to the Satan helpers part. <laughs> no. I, so I was, I felt like a weirdo and I was like, okay, I am a weird person. This is weird that I like this movie. And um, I didn't really realize until I had this sort of realization recently, like what I, I think I want to call the peewee scale mm. where I realized Everyone who I'm friends with as an adult, like all the people who I have met through the entertainment industry, all love this movie. (laughs) And I realized like, oh, I've just found my fellow weirdos. Like Mm -hmm. it took me a while to find my people, but um, I found them. And I didn't know at the time, like it's a cult movie. Lots of people love this movie. But I think if I hadn't had little moments like that where I felt like a weirdo in my hometown I made maybe I wouldn't have branched out to have my own epic journey um across the country to 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 the Warner Brothers lot where actually um more than half of the shows I work on are filmed now (laughs) that's fantastic I love that yeah this is a wild film so I mean this is a film that we grew up on yeah I I hadn't watched it since I was pretty young um but I, I when I was young I watched it a lot and I also watched the show yeah so I didn't remember it that well but then watching it I was just constantly reminded like oh yeah I remember that oh yeah I remember that moment yeah and then like his whole house with 
all the stuff in it. And yeah. When I was a little kid, I wanted that house yeah. so bad. I'm like, that's the house I want to have when I'm an adult, right? It is yes. so cool. You know, not only does he have the, the you know cute little dog, but he also has all all the cool contraptions he has, and yeah, everything. he has everything. He has the Mr. T cereal. Like, yeah, <laughs> he's got the whole Rube Goldberg machine to make breakfast. Right. Yeah, even the the way he waters his lawn, yeah. everything is just so creative and, and fun. And you know, Tim Burton, the director, this was his first feature film. Like he had a couple shorts before this, but this is his first like full length movie. And you know, it he makes some wild swings on this film. And it, and of course, you know, Tim Burton is a legend now. You know, he's mm-hmm. made so many movies. And right after this, he made Beetlejuice, and then he made Batman. You know, and he just like what influential movies. You know that that he worked on. Yeah, yeah. That one of the first notes I wrote down was just the kid fantasies, and that's yeah. probably why it was so appealing as a kid. Yeah. Um, even the little detail of like the security of his bike. I feel like for kids of the eighties and nineties, your personal security was huge. Yeah. Um, like I remember, I was gonna say recently, but this was like ten years ago. I bought my niece a diary with a lock for her birthday when she was ten, and I thought, "Ooh, she's gonna love this." Yeah. There's nothing cooler than diary with a lock, and she was not impressed. Like there was <laughs> not not the same um, thing. But I think also like growing up sharing space with lots of siblings and not right. getting to have a lot of my own space, just like Pee Wee's life and house mm-hmm. is kind of the ultimate fantasy yes what's interesting too is i i was looking up like the wikipedia of this and um you mentioned it's a 90 minute movie i guess the the writers looked up um like the perfect formula for like a 90 minute movie they were like we want to make a 90 minute movie he's going to lose the thing at 30 minutes in he's going to find the thing at an hour in and so it's probably a really good model for people um interested in screenwriting too it's just like the pacing um of the the movie is really great Yeah. yeah it is it it doesn't yeah because it goes by so fast it it flies by i also really loved Wee herman just no matter what situation he was in he won over every single person except maybe simone's boyfriend but like he won over the bikers he won over the staff yeah. at that diner when he didn't have money and just just got to watch him like spread his weird weird positivity throughout the country (laughs) i think that's relatable for me too it's like the weird positivity was definitely me as a kid and me now and just feeling accepted for it yeah and i also think there is i feel like problem with movies you love for as a kid they don't always hold up there's always like something problematic right but this i mean we know there's the whole issue of Tim Burton and diversity for sure. But besides that, this movie really held up well for me. One of my favorite scenes is when um, Pee Wee does drag to get through the um, police Mm -hmm. station. Right. And that is not played with an ounce of gay panic that Mm -hmm. you would have seen in um, another product of that time. Sure. Yeah, this movie does hold up surprisingly well for being as old as it is all the characters are so fun and so distinct, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like every single situation he finds himself in, it's, it's so funny. And there was like scary parts of this movie too. Like the part where he meets, you know, large Marge yeah. in, in the truck and, you know, she, she like rips her face off and it's like terrifying oh, yeah. for like two seconds. Mm-hmm. I remembered when that moment happened, I was like, Oh yeah, I remember this moment. Cause when I was little, it really scared me. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. So, or even the, the dream sequences too were all, yeah. were all pretty creepy. Oh yeah, Large Marge and the dip from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, I feel like uh, were very early scare memories for mm, me. Uh, yeah, the dip is legit <laughs> terrifying. Uh, I'll also add to that um, the film Hook. Uh, when they put the put the pirate in the Glenn Close's character, yeah, they, yeah, they, they in the put box. her in, in a in a trunk and start <laughs> dropping scorpions in it. The, these are the things of my childhood that were yeah, and like just kids movies, but some true horror in them, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which I think is it wasn't like they were treating kids like they were dumb. I guess it's no. like yeah, this is a kids movie, but like you know, you're gonna actually get scared for part of it. That's absolutely. <laughs> So do you guys have a favorite character? I mean, obviously, Pee-wee's uh, such know. a yeah. strong character in this, right? Well, I do have a soft spot for Dottie because yeah. I did um, get my DVD of Pee-wee's Big Adventure signed by E.G. Daly at cool. WonderCon Whoa. a few years ago. That's amazing. That's awesome. And I think she also is it just like a, such a ball of nostalgia without her voice work credits, like being the voice of Tommy Pickles from Rugrats and, and so many more. I love movie Dottie too. Like the way they make her very empowered, like, yeah. like she invented the bike. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it is fun. Mm -hmm. I really like, I'm totally blanking on his name, but the guy who escaped from prison who picks him up? Yeah. Mickey. Mickey. Oh, he's a favorite of mine yeah. too. Yeah, he's great. And <laughs> just again, like he picks up Pee Wee. He obviously thinks Pee Wee's a weirdo, but by the end of the ride, he's like, I like you a lot, kid, and that's why I can't involve you in this. Like he really he yeah. shows up at the movie premiere. Right. He's so supportive. Love it. I, I remember when I was a kid, um, I did not know that the mattress tag thing was a joke. Yeah, right. I thought that was. I was like, "Wow, you, yeah, they are not messing around. Mm -hmm. You cannot rip the tag off a mattress, <laughs> or you will go to prison." <laughs> but again, it, to tie back to like personal passions too, like Pee Wee is uh, one of my favorite like quotes in abolition work from um, Brian Stevenson: "Is no one should be judged by the worst thing they've ever yeah. done." I, I may be messing that quote up, but the spirit of that is very Pee Wee. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Pee-wee gets it. Pee-wee's like, we're just, we're like-minded spirits on the yeah. road together going outside of the norm. And I think that's kind of beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he really is capable of befriending anyone he meets. He like becomes their friend. I love at the end where all of the characters he met along the way that's are, really fun. are at the actual place. That's cool. It's so quotable. I wrote down like all of the quotes that I remembered and I was like, yes, these are things that I, these were like in my childhood vocabulary to say like, that's my name. Don't wear it out. Yeah. I know you are, but what am I? Yeah. There were two that, two I wrote down that I did not pick up on as a kid that I thought were great as adult. When Simone is like confessing, like she doesn't know how to move forward in her life. And he says, everyone I know has a big butt. Yeah. And so funny, but also very deep. Mm -hmm. Um, and then after he's disappointed at the Alamo when he says they don't tell you that stuff in school, you just have to experience it. Right. Was very much like the kid who studied abroad or yeah. like the a child who thinks they have knowledge but they don't. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, Oh, that's just so very evocative but yeah. yeah honestly all the so so many quotes in this yeah. movie knitting and knitting and knitting mm -hmm. and knitting <laughs> <laughs> 
So do you guys have a favorite scene in the film? There's a lot of good ones. I do like, and this is a little scene where after Mickey drives off and it's completely pitch black and he turns on the flashlight and there's just animals everywhere. I thought that was a really good kind of like jump scene. Right after the scene with all the the animated eyes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I love the opening. The Rube Goldberg breakfast machine is hard to beat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love the pet store scene when he's yeah. um, so like the, that's one visual from this movie that's like burned into my memory is him clutching the snake yes. and collapsing to <laughs> the ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great one, too. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, and then one I really this is this isn't really a scene, but a moment. And this what made me really curious about the making of the film is when he goes to confront Francis and he's knocking on the door in the cadence of the Danny Elfman score. Mm -hmm. um, I was like, oh, I always thought that he would have just done the score after the movie. So like, what did they maybe do Pee Wee's theme first and then do the rest of it? And, but I, I, that score is so good. um, And I just feel like that was a good moment. Yeah. Has always been a genius. Yeah. Uh, So good. As soon as you hear it, you're like, oh, that's Danny Elfman Mm -hmm. music. Yep. I think my favorite scene would be the one where, I mean, I love the biker bar. Yeah, uh, with the, so many good ones. With the tequila <laughs> dance, is it's just like the most iconic scene that stands out to me. But I also rewatching it, I really laughed at the joke that happened right after that, where they're, they're like the biker bar is like seeing them off, and they give them a motorcycle. And and he's like, all right, here I go. And he hit, he accelerates, and he goes and drives right <laughs> into the side, and then he's boom in, a, in an ambulance. And it got me pretty good. I laughed pretty hard at that one. So some really good, some good physical so comedy. Good. Exactly. I, I did find watching it. It's been a long time since I had watched it. And there was not a frame that I didn't remember. Like I yeah. wasn't watching it. It was like, oh, I don't remember that. And for extra nostalgia, I actually watched it on VHS. Nice. Um, nice. So it was very fun. <laughs> I feel like it's just like a celebration of weirdos yeah. and a judgment-free zone. Yeah. Yeah. I do think there's there's some like metaphors in it for all the beautiful like entertainment weirdos out there who um are on their own journey to find their perfect red bike at the end of the tale. We'd like to finish up our show today with a game that we're calling Telly to Talkie. We're going to see how well both of you know movies based on TV shows and characters. Amy, you're playing against Susan. So here are the rules. I'm going to read the synopsis of a TV show whose plot or story have been made into a feature film. You will each have one minute to guess as many as possible. If you don't know the show, you can pass. Amy, if you get the most right, you will win our prize. And Susan, what's our prize? I have some Life in the Credits merchandise. So like a shirt or a mug, whatever you want. Yeah, yeah we'll send you we'll something mail in that the to mail. You. Amy, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, and your time's going to start as soon as I read your first prompt. This is an animated sitcom about the antics of a dysfunctional family in the misfit city of Springfield. Simpsons. Correct. That's one point. A late-night comedy show featuring several short skits, parodies of television commercials, a live guest band, and a pop culture guest host each week. Pass. Okay. Four female New Yorkers gossip about their sex lives or lack of... Sex in the city. Correct. A group of teenage friends and their great Dane travel in a bright green van solving strange and hilarious mysteries. Scooby-Doo. Correct. 
Two FBI agents work in an unassigned detail of the, of the Bureau investigating cases dealing with unexplained paranormal phenomena. X-Files. Yes. The science fiction action adventure series set in the 23rd century based around a crew of a ship representing the United Federation of Planets on a five-year mission to outer space to explore new worlds, seek new life, new, new civilizations, and boldly go where no one has gone before. Star Trek. Correct. And that's five. And that's one minute. Good job, Amy. So I have to get six? You have to get six okay. to win. Oof. All right, man. She was on fire. Susan, what do you got? You ready for this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think you named all the ones I know. <laughs> I love I love your confidence. The one you passed on, I also have no idea what that we'll, is. We'll come back to yeah. that at the end. All right. Susan, your time. Okay. Are you ready? Yep. Your time will start as soon as I read the first prompt. Okay. A reality show about a group of stuntmen and extreme sport enthusiasts with high thresholds of pain, and each show conta- uh, consists of videotapes of them performing stupid and dangerous stunts. Is it Jackass? Yes, it okay. is. One point. A wealthy mystery man runs a detective agency via a speakerphone and a personal assistant. His detectives are three beautiful women who end up... Oh, Charlie's Angels. That's correct. Yeah. A 10-year-old... Aspires to be the greatest trainer in the world, and to do this, he enlists the help of his many friends, and together, they search the world for new creatures while fighting other teams, avoiding evil organizations, and battling rivals. This isn't like How to Train Your Dragon, is it? No. Okay, pass. A team of teenagers with attitude are recruited to save Angel Grove from an evil witch and later an evil emperor and their horde of monsters. They are given powers and an arsenal of weapons as long as well as colossal machines called Zords. Oh, is Power Rangers? It is Power okay. Rangers. <laughs> One more. Uh, two cousins and their car have a, have a running battle uh, feud with the authorities of Hazard County. Oh, Dukes of Hazard. Correct. Well, good job, Susan. You got four points, but that uh, means Amy is our winner. With five. Congratulations. Okay, I'm gonna I feel like one of those was tricky for you, Susan, because Pokemon yes. was Pokemon. Oh, it's, ba- it, it's based on a TV show based on a card game. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and that's the creatures one in the teams. Yes. Duh. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> yeah, I was not. Wait, will you Pokemon give give all? us the late night clue again? See if we can get it. Yeah, right, yeah. I'll I'll read it nice and slow this okay. time. This is this is hard. This is a hard one, Amy. A late night comedy show featuring sh- featuring several short skits, parodies of television commercials, a live guest band, and a pop culture guest host each week. Okay, so this is Saturday Night Live. It is, yes. But it's good. so it's not a one to one. That's why it's true. Not it's one to so one, yes. Is Thirty Rock the other? What's the other? No, it did. Superstar. Yeah. Oh, okay. Blues Brothers. Okay, got it. There have been many. So it's, the the movie's not about the show. The movie's based on characters from the show. Correct. Got it. That's yeah. why I was like, what movie's about Saturday Night Live? <laughs> That's that was a tricky one, but Amy, you still pulled okay. it out. Nice job. Congratulations. I'm Thank you. <laughs> you know what? I was almost going to bet beforehand that The Fugitive was going to be one. Oh, um, oh that, Because that's do, one of my favorite movies, but I oh, have not so watched good. the TV show. Yeah, I've not watched the TV show either. Yeah, I think that's one of the more, really, like, the TV show is very different yeah. than, than the movie. But yeah, that movie is awesome. And uh, hopefully one day we'll get to cover that on this show. Mm-hmm. I hope you do. A fun, fun fact, um, I saw that movie twice in Spanish before I ever saw it in English wow. because it was one of only two tapes that my high school Spanish teacher had. <laughs> so she would either put on El 
Fugitivo or El Norte were the two movies we would watch. <laughs> I love that. Um, how do you say I didn't kill my wife and then I don't care in Spanish? Oh my gosh, I can't remember. <laughs> All right. See, it's because she was putting on VHS tapes instead of um, making me practice. I've not retained a lot of my high school Spanish. Maybe if you had read the script in Spanish instead. <laughs> Amy, next time you come back, we're, we're doing the future. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I had, a, I had a, a bunch more of these, but you guys did great. Well done. Uh, that was a good game. Amy is our winner. It's very fun. Thank you. Yeah. So, Amy, before we let you go, would you like to plug anything? If you like toast, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Amy Iker. Okay. <laughs> I, I got a jam advent calendar and I posted about it every month. That's uh, awesome. Every day of last month. And now the people have demanded more breakfast content. It's very stupid. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then work-wise, I say watch Ghosts on CBS and Paramount+. Plus. Follow Ghosts CBS on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. It's a blast. Yeah, that, those are my plugs for today. Very cool. Perfect. Well, thank you, Amy, for yeah, joining us. Yeah, this was really great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. Life in the Credits is hosted and produced by me, Susan Swarner. And me, Ben Bloom. It's executive produced by Michelle Levin. The music is written and performed by Steve Trowbridge. You can hear more of Steve's music at TrowbridgeSounds.com. The show logo is created by Melissa Durkin. If you'd like to support Life in the Credits and get access to exclusive perks, you can do so at patreon.com. If you'd like to follow or get a hold of us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Life in the Credits or shoot us an email at lifeinthecredits at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I remember when I was a kid, um, I did not know that the mattress tag thing was a joke. Yeah, right. I thought that was, I was like, wow, you, yeah, they are not messing around. Mm. You cannot rip the tag off a mattress <laughs> or you will go to prison. <laughs>